Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, aliens at school, extraterrestrials on the playground. There were 87 students who saw this thing. It actually landed in front of the school, and not many people realized that this was more than just a sighting. No, this thing actually landed. Police saw it. Uh, school officials saw it. It caused Jail and Hynek and Blue Book to come over and investigate it. And without much investigation, this sort of suggested that it was swamp gas. This podcast is brought to you by Reverse Speech Radio, a podcast committed to telling you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Using the exact same technology as the CIA, they know because they trained them. Join hosts Christian Dicadure and David John Oates every week and hear never-before-heard reversals, revealing the hidden truth. Catch politicians lying, climb inside the head of serial killers, even hear EVPs played in reverse. Who's lying? Who's telling the truth? All will be revealed on Reverse Speech Radio. New episodes drop every Thursday. Find out more at reversespeech.ca. Listen and subscribe at reversespeechradio.libson.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Coming to you one last time from Greece, Preston Dennett is standing by to share some of his 100 true accounts of schoolyard UFO encounters. For the past 170 years, schools across the United States and the world have been targeted and visited by UFOs. These aren't simple flyovers. In these cases, the objects hover for long periods at extremely low elevation, often landing next to the school. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic unexplained encounters. Since then, he's interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He's a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of 14 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. His articles have appeared in numerous magazines, including Fate, Atlantis Rising, MUFON UFO Journal, Nexus, Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Mysteries Magazine, Ufologist, and others. His writing has been translated into several different languages, and he's appeared on numerous radio and television programs. Additionally, Preston has taught classes on various paranormal subjects and lectures across the United States. Preston Dennett, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. When you set out to write a book like Schoolyard UFO Encounters, 100 True Accounts, do you know going in uh, when you take on this project how many 
there are? I mean, are you ever surprised that there's enough to fill a complete volume just in this one narrow area, schoolyard encounters? Oh, I was shocked. I had no idea. Um, usually I think, you know, I've got a pretty good idea of what I'm going to find. Uh, but no, I did not. I was expecting maybe, you know, I knew there were five really famous cases, like the Rua Zimbabwe case is very famous. That was in 1994. There was this UFO landed right next to the playground. ETs came out. It's a very well-known case. And there were, you know, a couple of other really famous cases. I figured, you know, I know of a couple of others. One, you know, I had already investigated myself. And I started to look into it. And I got, I have to tell you, I got a real shock. I had no idea that I was going to find that many. I was familiar with the Zimbabwe case from 94, as, as you know, many people who follow UFOs, even casually. Uh, for those not familiar with the Zimbabwe case, uh, let's drill down on that. Give us some more details. Yeah, it's really the ultimate case of this kind. These are really unusual cases. I mean, these are not your typical flybys. In these cases, the objects come very low, sometimes land. It's usually at daytime. It's a long, prolonged sighting uh, viewed generally by you know a large group of people, and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, 1994, September. It was early in the morning at recess. That's usually when these things happen. And a bunch of kids saw these objects, one very large one, come swooping down and it looked metallic. It had portholes, very much a typical, you know, flying saucer. Uh, actually lands just beyond, you know, it's a large playground, just beyond the playground there. Uh, there's nothing but logs separating it, no real fence. And uh, there's 200 kids on the playground and one adult. By coincidence, there's all the teachers are having a supervisory meeting. So they're pretty much all inside except for one person who's on the playground monitoring the snack stand. So a bunch of kids run over to see this. They're screaming. Some come running back to the lady at the snack stand. And they're like, look, look, look. And she's like, don't bother me. And he's like, no, it's a UFO. And she said, pull my other leg. <laughs> And uh, yeah, she's like, well, I, I couldn't leave the snack stand, could I? <laughs> uh, so I get her point, but still. So a bunch of other kids run back to the teachers and they're like, you know, something's happening. And uh, they don't, they're not believed. And this is a pattern we do see. And meanwhile, this object has actually landed. Some three figures have gotten out. They're short, wearing dark jumpsuits. Uh, one is described, you know, having no hair. Another is described having long black hair. Um, very scary, dark eyes, and comes right up to the edge of the schoolyard there and starts communicating telepathically uh, with at least, you know, five or ten of the students. Uh, so that's pretty unusual for this type of case. Yes. There are a few other, yeah, for sure. 62, uh, 62 school-aged witnesses in this, in this case. Uh, and as you say, uh, be, because of the age of the witnesses, there is, uh, there is disbelief, there is extreme skepticism. How was this case handled in the media at the time? Uh, initially, it was not put forth in the media until Cynthia Hind, she was you know, South Africa's leading researcher, uh, got a hold of it, which was very soon into the case. She also got a hold of John Mack. And that definitely um, gave it a bunch of publicity. 
they found out there was a whole bunch of sightings around that time. This was actually part of a large wave of sightings. Uh, this was the most widely viewed. And yeah, these were very young children. In about half the schoolyard cases, I found teachers are actually there to view these objects. But in about half, they're not. And uh, so these students were very impressed by what they saw. You know, some had nightmares, some sort of you know, bedwetting. Um, they were, some were fairly well traumatized by it. Um, afterwards, some continued to have encounters as well uh, throughout their lives. And here we are, almost uh, exactly 25 years later. Uh, what do we know, what happened to some of the key witnesses from the aerial school? These are now, you know, young adults. Oh, yeah. Some of them are, are talking about it. Some are very shy about talking about it. You know, this case did get a lot of publicity. It still is. There's a documentary in the works by Randall Nickerson, uh, which I'm definitely excited to see. But, yeah, I mean, they still, this is something I hear pretty much from witnesses universally, is that it's something they think about pretty much daily, that one incident. It, it affects them that deeply. Uh, as I said, some are continuing to have encounters, not all of them, um, just a few, particularly the ones uh, who spoke with the ETs or were spoken to. So, yeah, I mean, it's not at all unusual for people to be very deeply affected. There's a case in Scotland to Malcolm Robinson. He had a typical schoolyard sighting with his friends, saw this globe hanging very low over the playground. It wasn't a weather balloon. It darts away. And it affects him very deeply. And later he becomes a leading researcher in Scotland and wrote, you know, UFOs over Scotland. So it affects people deeply. Sure. Now, going back to Ariel uh, in Zimbabwe for a moment, 62 primary school age witnesses, which is quite impressive. But uh, there's a case going back uh, over 50 years in, in Australia something like 200 or more witnesses. Tell me about what happened at West Hall High School. Yeah, it's just an incredible case. 1966, uh, that was uh, April, right after the Hillsdale, Michigan sighting, by the way, two weeks later, uh, which is an amazing coincidence because the Hillsdale, Michigan college sighting had 87 witnesses. I don't think that's a coincidence. But the Melbourne case here at Westall High School uh, is by far Australia's most famous UFO incident and probably the most widely viewed. Uh, probably 300 students saw this. It was 11 a.m. or so. Someone comes running in from the oval, they called it the sports field, into Mr. Greenwood's class. He's the science teacher and said, there's a UFO, there's a flying saucer hovering over the field. The whole class laughs, the bell's about to ring and they, they jump up, they wanna rush out Mr. Uh, Greenwood makes him wait, and the bell rings, they rush out, and sure enough, by this point, all the classes are rushing out, and there are, there's three objects, at least, uh, hovering over the field. Some are darting around, one's blinking and kind of disappearing and reappearing in another place. They're pretty low, in fact, one is coming in for a landing and does. It lands in a grove of trees right there behind the school this point, you know, there's 200, 300 kids on the playground running towards it. A bunch of them jump the fence and they run right up to it. One girl faints dead away. There's about, you know, a dozen kids surrounding it. They can, they're right next to it. It's got no features. It's about the size of a car, metallic silver, no rivets, nothing. It, they can feel the heat coming off of it. 
It lifts up slowly about 10 feet in the air, turns sideways, and darts away. And at this point, there's about four or five Cessnas surrounding the school and chasing these objects. As the object leaves, the Cessnas chase them away. And as the kids return to school, literally within about 20 minutes, they're estimating after the sighting, the army shows up. Uh, soldiers in you know, full camouflage. The police were there. The press was there. Students were being interviewed. And uh, the military shut that down. And the headmaster called everyone into an emergency uh, assembly. And they were told, in no uncertain words, that there's no such thing as UFOs. And if they think they saw one, they're mistaken. And they didn't see anything. And even if they did, they're not supposed to talk about it. Don't believe, uh, those, your, don't believe your lying <laughs> eyes. Right. Now, some, some of these kids are actually taken into the office and questioned by military officials and told again not to talk about it. Uh, so they were, you know, some kids got detention for talking to the press. It was a big deal and still is. There's a monument, you know, in this area now to this sighting. Uh, there's no doubt it happened. There's, you know, they saw the landing trace, traces which were, by the way, bold, or uh, burned over, apparently, by the militaries uh, almost immediately afterwards. So there was a cover-up absolutely pushed on over this. And, and did anyone have the presence of mind to snap a picture? I mean, obviously, this is 53 years ago. No one had uh, cell phone cameras, but did anyone have a camera at the ready? Uh, yeah, well, it turns out there was a camera. Uh, one of the teachers had a camera and was photographing through the entire incident. Uh, but the military took it away, and there's been no sign of it since. Other than that, apparently no. Uh, investigators have looked through military records to you know, see if soldiers came over to West Hall High School, and there's no record of it, of course. There's a nearby airport, you know, four miles away. Uh, who had no knowledge of the incident said they don't know who these Cessna pilots are. Uh, there's, you know, this is an ongoing investigation that is actually, you know, still moving forward. And uh, of those witnesses, 300, uh, now 53 years later, uh, are any of them speaking out publicly uh, now? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's, you know, Emily Peck is one. There's another, uh, gosh, it's hard to remember all their names. Uh, but absolutely, yeah, they're speaking out. There's a documentary on this incident. Shane Hurd is the leading researcher. And he's interviewed, uh, gosh, I think it's well over 100 witnesses uh, who've seen just the landing traces. And a number of them who have seen the objects. Uh, and a few of them who were there when it actually landed. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely speaking out about it. It's, it's an amazing case. It doesn't get a whole lot of attention, uh, which surprises me because there was like one a year after this, which is almost identical, which occurred here in the United States at Opalaka, Florida, mm -hmm. Crestview Elementary School. Well, let's talk a little bit about that one. Yeah, I know it's virtually identical. It's, it's shocking. This one actually occurred over a two-day period. It's literally one year to the day. So we're talking, you know, April 1967 now. And uh, this is an elementary school. What I found is of the 100 cases, half of them involved elementary schools. The rest are, you know, colleges, middle schools, high schools. Uh, but mostly elementary schools. Don't think that's a coincidence. They're targeting our youngest children. I think because, you know, they're very 
uh, easy to influence, perhaps. Uh, not prejudiced. Their minds are not polluted by, you know, the, the idea of what a UFO is. And most kids say that they have no idea what they, you know, they didn't know what UFOs were. And that's true in the Opalaka case. Uh, this is very similar. There was about seven, eight people left on the playground, and they were going inside, including Mr. Apfel. He's one of the teachers. And one of the kids tugs out on his shirt and is like, what's that? And there's this metallic saucer. You know, he, Mr. Apfel, the teacher, described it as two lenses back to back. And uh, it hung there in the sky. It was pretty close under a little cloud layer there. And then just darts away. And they're like, well, all right. That was a little too quick to really make a whole lot of sense of it. They walked back inside. And it was the next day on Friday when these UFOs showed up again during recess. All the kids come running out. And one of these things literally lands right behind the school. Oh, now, these are elementary age kids. So they weren't able to get you know, right up next to it like the high school kids who jumped the fence. Uh, and what happened in this case is the army actually showed up during the incident and pulled everyone back into classes, you know, cleared the hallways. Uh, anyone who was allowed to, you know, walk home or, you know, had their bike was escorted out to school and the rest had to take school buses. So, again, this is a big deal. They were told uh, not specifically not to talk about it, but what they had seen were helicopters, uh, which clearly wasn't. Um, some of the kids said that as they were walking out to school, they could still see these things. And, you know, some were hovering, and one was apparently landed in the field there and was still being guarded by military. And again, any photographic evidence? Uh, no, unfortunately not. Uh, there are some cases which do have photographic evidence for sure, you know, involving these. There was one case in uh, Moline, Illinois, this was at Sacred Heart Elementary School in, I think it was 1964. And a police officer happened to be on the playground and he had a movie camera and was able to capture about 20, 30 seconds of this object as it moved away after hovering over the playground. Uh, that was seen by about 40 students and two nuns and himself, and including his son, by the way. Uh, he, was he was visited by the Air Force, was very interested in this footage, and as well by men in black type figures who refused to identify where they were from, uh, but were very interested in his sighting. Uh, and uh, yeah, there are other photographic cases and some great evidence cases. What's remarkable to me is, as you mentioned earlier, the lack of attention these cases get. In some cases, hundreds of witnesses. We're not talking about just a simple flyby at a great distance. We're talking about a close encounter. Uh, and yet, you know, we continue to, uh, to talk about Roswell, uh, perhaps the Aztec UFO incident, the Phoenix Lights. Yet these cases, uh, I mean, the, the corroboration, the number of witnesses, in some cases photographic evidence, uh, trace evidence from landings, and yet virtual crickets. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. This case, get this, May 17th, 1970, Richmond School in Maranui, New Zealand. There are 400 students out on the playground, two teachers. Uh, one of the teachers, Mr. Cobney, is supervising when suddenly he notices everything's very quiet, something's very wrong, he can't hear the children playing. He looks around and sees they're all staring up at the sky. And looking up, he sees this black object approaching. It kind of looked like a hole in the sky is how 
he described it, and it was very hard to make out its shape or what it was or how you know high up it was. But this thing came closer and closer and lower and lower over the school until it was clearly a very large object. He said it covered about you know a quarter of the sky. It was absolutely huge, and everyone was in complete awe. This thing hovered for about 15 minutes uh, before slowly lifting upwards, turning on its side, and darting straight upwards. Now, there was an airport about two miles away, which they did, of course, contact, uh, and that airport denied any knowledge of this, which is basically, I mean, impossible unless they're lying, which is certainly possible, or this thing is cloaked. Uh, hard to say, but these teachers were absolutely impressed. It's a huge case. Um, 400 witnesses, undeniable, and didn't get a lot of attention. Any of the witnesses uh, report, uh, you know, let's go back to the subject of your, your previous book, the one bef just before this one about UFO healings. Did any uh, uh, witnesses in any of these cases report uh, healings or perhaps the opposite, some sort of an injury as a result of the encounter or an increase in psychic ability? Um, there are some cases involving physiological effects. Um, some children... I became very sleepy afterwards, or their speech would become slurred, and weird things like this. Probably the strangest was April 29, 1964. No healing cases that I could find, uh, but on 1964, this is like uh, days after the Lani Zamora landing in uh, Socorro, New Mexico, and here we are at Lowell Elementary School in Albuquerque, which is not far away, you know, less than 100 miles. And the playground's filled with children, and on the playground is Sharon Stull and her little sister, Robin. She's like 11 years old, and uh, there's this egg-shaped object. It comes dropping down over the school, lower and lower. A bunch of kids see it. Um, Sharon's very interested in it. Her sister sees it as well, but gets scared and kind of runs away because this object gets real low. It's, it's bouncing up and down like a yo-yo a little bit and putting on what amounts to a display. Uh, which is what you see in these cases. They want to be seen. It's clear that they're, you know, trying to be seen. Uh, and uh, she was very impressed. She watched the whole recess, <laughs> went back to class, thought the encounter was over, but started to feel not well. Uh, her face was burning and hurt. And so she goes to the nurse, and the nurse is like, oh, my God, you know, you need to go to the doctor right now. You have burns on your face. And... Uh, went to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, this isn't a sunburn, you know, well, what happened? And she described, you know, seeing this object, uh, it was facing, you know, the other direction from the sun. It wasn't a sunburn. And that was severe enough where her eyes swelled up and caused her problems with reading. She had to use an ointment, uh, keep the blinds closed. Uh, but most strange, it was about in the three weeks following this incident, she grew a foot in height and became much more mature, you know, doing things that, you know, an adult would normally be doing, like an accelerated growth type of thing. Right, so right. That's a, yeah, which we've seen, you know, with plants maybe, uh, but I've not seen that with humans. Uh, you know, I've seen healings, but that's definitely one of the stranger, uh, what I would call, physiological cases. More of my conversation with Preston Dennett when Conspiracy Unlimited returns.
And we are joined once again by Colleen Forgus, our newest partner here at Strange Planet, the Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary, and she's our registered nutritional therapy consultant. Colleen, what do you have for us today? Hi, Richard. Today, I wanted to talk about a product called Digest XYM Plus. It's by a company called US Enzymes. This is a complement of plant-based digestive enzymes that are designed to help us digest and assimilate our food better. There's different enzymes that are for protein digestion, carbohydrate, and fat digestion. So a lot of times when people are having issues, whether it might be bloating, diarrhea, after eating, taking one of these with each meal can really help to eliminate those issues. And that's Digest XYM, and that's available at the full script dispensary. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the full script dispensary button. And we also, we want to thank everyone who's signed up so far. We really appreciate it. And just a reminder, you get 10% off all of your orders, 10% off. And here's some exciting news. All orders ship for free throughout the month of September. Again, all orders ship absolutely free throughout September. Full script, nature grade, science made. Talk to you next week, Colleen. Thanks, Richard. The statements made here and have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. If you have any concerns about your own health, you should always consult with a physician or healthcare professional. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess he better say it because of Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Preston Dennett, the author of Schoolyard UFO Encounters, is here. Although the, the focus of the book is schoolyard encounters, there, there have been incidents that occurred not in the schoolyard, but right in the school, right in the classroom in case, in fact, it was a case, uh, I guess that you've been really not been able to document too, in too much detail, but it's the one that really sort of launched your interest uh, in, in this uh, area. Talk to me about this, um, the student, this young boy uh, who, who uh, ex- encountered Grays in his classroom. Yeah, I'm trying to track down this case because uh, this is like, oh my gosh, this is the thing. UFOs are targeting schools. It's when I read this case and I haven't been able to locate it, uh, but I remember it vividly because there's three or four other cases just like that, by the way, uh, which I have uncovered. And I've talked to several witnesses firsthand and traced you know, some of these cases firsthand. Uh, and that case was a doozy. I mean, this is a very strange type of encounter where ETs enter directly into the classroom. And in this case, he was sitting there in his classroom when, lo and behold, there's grays. And next thing he knows, nobody's moving. It's like time has stopped. And these grays are walking up and down the aisles doing stuff to these kids that he can't quite see because at this point he can't move either. But he's still fully conscious. And it doesn't appear that anyone else is. Uh, He's not sure about, you know, what they were doing or how long this lasted. Suddenly it was over. It was like time just started up again and they were gone and nobody noticed a thing. It was just him, <gasps> which has to throw you for a loop and certainly has, you know, with the people I've talked to who've had this happen to them. 
Let's spend a, a few minutes talking about the way these schoolyard sightings, these schoolyard UFO encounters, uh, differ from, let's say, the most common type of a UFO encounter, which is seeing strange lights at a very high altitude in the night sky. How, let's talk about the way schoolyard encounters are different. Yeah, it's amazing because that is sort of the average sighting, certainly the one I hear most. If you go to New Fork, they'll tell you the average sighting is brief. It's an anomalous light. It's at night and it's darting on, around in the sky pretty high up there. Uh, and what we're seeing with schoolyard cases is some fundamental differences that are really profound, actually. Uh, the first being that these are not random flybys by any means. These are coming out of the sky or coming from you know, the horizon, wherever they're coming from, directly to these schools, hovering very low. In most cases, I'm going to say, you know, a thousand feet would be high, but we're looking at 200, 100 feet, 50 feet or landing. Uh, in about 30% of these cases, these objects actually do land and, and or humanoids come out. So that's a very fundamental difference. Another fundamental difference is these are, by and large, daylight sightings. There are a few nighttime sightings, which is really when you, know, you get a lot of reports. Daylight sightings are relatively rare, uh, but it's the rule with schoolyard sightings. So uh, that's another fundamental difference. Another very strange thing about schoolyard sightings is the number of witnesses. I mean, we're talking you know, 10 would be very few. There are you know, some cases involving just one or two or 10 or so, but normally it's 40, you know, 50, 100, 200. You know, that, like that case in New Zealand, 400. There's several cases like that. So a lot of witnesses, and that's usually children, which I find interesting because, uh, I mean, you can talk about children as being good witnesses or you can you know, argue that perhaps they're not as reliable. Uh, but when you combine the fact that these are children of all different ages, and usually there are teachers there, um, any arguments that you know children are imaginative and are making this up just don't hold water. Uh, right. So yeah, the, there's a, a number of differences. A number of these cases actually generate government interest. Uh, that's not at all unusual, or certainly generate publicity within local newspapers. Uh, these are not your normal encounters, and that sort of pattern of really what we see most is these objects putting on some sort of display. Uh, and that's the pattern we see in case after case after case. Right. I just wanted to, to point out, uh, as you point out in, in the book, the average UFO encounter involves one to five witnesses. And, and here in these schoolyard encounters, what is the average? Do we have a number? But as you, you know, it's as high as 400. What's the average? Um, you know, that's a good question. I haven't actually pulled out the average. Um, I'll have to do that. But I'm guessing it's probably close to around 40. Um, you know, if you remove the outliers, there's one case where there was like a thousand people who saw this thing. It was surrounding a college and all the people around it saw it. It came so low that people, people fainted uh, in their tracks, literally just fainted. Oh, we have to talk about uh, that case. Let's let's uh, drill down on that one. Yeah, you know, I don't have a whole lot of details on that case because. Um, well, just give us a thumbnail from, sketch. Uh, when and where? Um, I'd have to look that up. I know it was in South America. It was like either Brazil or P Peru. Or, this is a worldwide thing. Right. Right. Uh, 
and uh, it's getting harder and harder for me to keep these cases straight, honest to God. Like the Opalaka case and the Melbourne case, I had to study those to differentiate them because they're so similar. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I just remember these things came low, barreling down and scared the daylights out of people. Uh, there was like birds falling dead out of the sky. Oh, hang on. Uh, Are you there? Oh, sorry, I lost yeah. you momentarily. Sorry. They scared the daylights out of people. Just That's your pickup if you could. Yeah, these things came low. They came barreling down over the whole town. Uh, and right out of the school, several of the students fainted dead away. Uh, one lady said that she saw birds falling dead from the sky. Uh, so this was a big sighting, very widely viewed, and electrified the whole town. Uh, now, the argument is that children are somehow perhaps less threatening to these visitors or the visitors the ETs chew schoolyards because children are innocent and they're not prone to, uh, you know, being indoctrinated at this point. But then one has to ask why college students, they tend to be kind of cynical, a cynical cohort, don't you think? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This is why I find it so interesting that they're mostly contacting elementary school age uh, and a lot of, you know, middle school, but very few colleges, really. Uh, the Hillsdale, Michigan College is really the first case that certainly garnered national headlines and uh, really was a major case which led to you know big changes in the whole UFO field. There was 87 students who saw this thing. It actually landed in front of the school and not many people realized that this was more than just a sighting. No, this thing actually landed. Police saw it. Uh, school officials saw it. It caused jail and Hynek and Blue Book to come over and investigate it. And without much investigation, this sort of um, called, you know, suggested that it was swamp gas, which caused a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this caused a huge uproar. At the time, uh, there was a representative Ford, you know, Gerald Ford, uh, heading the state, and he called for investigations. This actually led to a congressional investigation into UFOs. Uh, which called for more you know, research into the subject. But the Air Force wanted to get out of Blue Book, and so at the same time, they launched the Condon Committee and the Robertson Panel, uh, which basically took all of Blue Book's cases and said, no, we don't see anything in this, and it's not worth studying anymore. And that ultimately led to Blue Book closing down a few years later. So that's pretty much blamed on the Hillsdale, Michigan sighting. You point out that since the 1950s, now we're going back 60-some years, over 60 years, uh, there has been a schoolyard UFO encounter, on average, about one or two per year since the 1950s. Uh, and of course, I'm, I'm guessing they continue to occur. What's the most recent one that you can tell us about? Uh, I did find some from like 2019, but they weren't really what I would call impressive cases. Uh, probably the most recent one uh, from, I think it was 2018. Uh, let's see here. This is yeah, in, actually Indonesia, April 2nd, 2018. A group of children at West Nessa School on Tengara Island uh, began to scream hysterically when they saw this glowing circular object. They were all, of course, on the playground. <laughs> And uh, the teacher comes running out and actually did, was able to record this object on her cell phone, which just showed this very, very bright light. 
Uh, they don't know what it was. It was very close, much too large to be misperceived, but really just this huge, glowing, glowing, bright light. Uh, but it's another case where, I mean, this is at 2.35 p.m., well, daylight, right over a large group of children. Uh, why are they doing this? This is something we see pretty much, yeah, every year. The, the earliest case I found was 1853, and it's kind of an outlier. It's really the only case around that time eight, over Burritt College in Tennessee. And it was an early morning sighting of these objects which were flashing on and off for a good half hour. Typical sort of thing we see. But nothing for literally 100 years after that until about 1950. Following that, it's boom, 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 boom. Every year, pretty much. I'm sorry. So there was a sighting in 1883, a schoolyard encounter, and then from 1883, nothing until the 1950s. Right, 1853. 1853, and, sorry. And then nothing until March 15, 1950. Uh, that was the earliest case I could find, which coincides you know, very much with the modern age of UFOs. This is when we first started to see you know, landings and humanoids coming into the mainstream. And, uh, Any idea these, why the gap? Any theory as to why such a gap between sightings? Uh, I think what we're dealing now is historically unprecedented. We have never had the levels of sightings we've had starting since 1947, uh, which coincides with the atomic age. Uh, before that, yeah, the, I mean, we know there's ancient aliens. There's evidence of it, certainly, in Renaissance paintings, Middle Age paintings, petroglyphs, hieroglyphics, so on. Uh, we know that ETs have been around a long time, but gosh, not like now. Not like these waves of sightings that are pretty regular, and they haven't gone away since, you know, the late 1940s. Roswell, Kenneth Arnold, uh, all of that. That's kind of what launched it. And, uh, During these close encounters in schoolyards where humanoids get out of these crafts and interact with students, uh, what is the nature of their conversations? Can you share that with us? Yeah, there's Ruas and Babwa case is really the ultimate case in terms of actual information. And each of the kids that, who did receive messages, it was pretty much the same theme. And it was environmentalism. Now, mind you, this is 1994. Uh, rural Africa, there's a lot of wildlife. It's not so much in danger as we would think of it now. And environmentalism wasn't really a talking point. And yet that was absolutely the message. One girl, she was told that we had become far too technological. We're using technology, or that there was a good way to use technology and a bad way, and that we could do much better. And another person was told we were destroying the forests, and that would ultimately lead to you know, very bad things happening to us, and that humanity could die. And another was told that we have to keep the air clean. So it was basically all the same sort of message uh, in that case, certainly. One would think that uh, after all of these schoolyard sightings, one of these students, at least one, is... Uh, you know, going to uh, to grow up, maybe pursue a career in uh, in politics. Uh, you know, maybe one day be a member of the U.S. Senate or the the House of Representatives, and uh, you know, w would make this a um, a priority. This issue. Any any hope there? Um, well, you know, I've in my own research certainly talked to some people who have very impressive resumes. Uh, some who are 
you know, I wasn't able to speak to them, but they're, they were certainly involved in the case, some very famous people, uh, and high-level military I have talked to. Uh, but, for, yeah, as far as politics, um, pe- people who are in politics know that the UFO subject is, uh, you know, something you stay away from pretty much at all costs. It uh, can destroy a political career. I think we're seeing less of that now. We are seeing, you know, this subject being mentioned uh, in a mainstream forum. Uh, but, yeah, as far as the schoolyard sightings, gosh, there are people grow up, you know, they're interested in quantum physics. They become teachers. It does seem to influence them to some degree. Uh, some become UFO researchers or write about their cases. Uh, generally speaking, they're all convinced that, you know, UFOs are real, certainly, following their uh, sightings. Could that perhaps be the key, the, the, the motive for these schoolyard UFO encounters is they want to influence these young people and hopefully uh, they will uh, arrive in positions of, of uh, influence and power? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that is their ultimate agenda is to influence on a very basic level of their existence and sort of promote a universal belief in UFOs. And I think that's what we're seeing, particularly among the younger generation now, who do accept this subject uh, on a much higher numbers than the older generation, certainly. Uh, so if that's their agenda. It's been pretty successful. And I think I'm just taking that from their behavior. I mean, it's certainly speculation, but when you see these objects, and most sightings are very brief. These sightings last a long time. You're hovering over these schools and landing. Uh, it's insane. Uh, I mean, there's so many cases like this, just one after another, too. Uh, in some cases, not only hours these encounters lasted, but uh, I believe there are cases that lasted days. Do you happen to recall one of those? Uh, yeah, there was one at Hotchkiss High School. This was, I believe, in Connecticut. And the students kept seeing this object appearing in the same place. They finally did get photographs of it. I have the photographs. And uh, it's this sort of a long-time expo- exposure where it shows this object moving across the sky, disappearing, and then reappearing as if putting on a display, uh, which, you know, was what they do. Uh, so that was seen over a period of four or five days. And that's not particularly unusual. Often these objects were, will show up for you know, the day before and the day after. After the Opalaka case, it showed up again on Saturday and about 50 people outside the school saw it in basically the same area. You know what, Preston, for me, the takeaway here is we, we, we devote a great deal of attention when it comes to UFOs to, again, these supposed mass sightings, Phoenix Lights, Roswell. They're important, uh, but we really need to now, I think, focus on these schoolyard UFO encounters. I think, you know, given the the vast amount of, of witnesses and corroboration and documentation, uh, this is where we need to focus our attention. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we there's the Brookhaven case we didn't really get to in Wales. They had a UFO land and ETs came out. One lady I talked to at Point Pleasant School, or let's see, Point School in St. Louis, Missouri, um, she and six other kids saw this UFO land and also saw an four-foot figure, uh, ended up the whole school saw this object taken 
you know, landed there in the field and eventually took off. That again closed the school down early. So there's a lot of cases uh, involving a lot of witnesses. I'm guessing enough to fill another volume at some point. I'm already getting new cases. I'm like, oh my God, another <laughs> case from England, another case from Australia, another case from Colombia, which is apparently just like the Rua Zimbabwe case. Very extensive. So yeah, well, they're rolling it. People can't ignore this for too much longer. Schoolyard UF Encounters, 100 True Accounts. Preston, how do people get a copy of the book and in what formats is it available? Uh, it's in an ebook, Kindle format, and also a paper book on Amazon and other booksellers. Uh, you can also visit my website. If you just Google my name, it should take you there. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on the show. I love Pre- talking about this stuff. Preston, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. This is absolutely mind blowing stuff. Hey, you got it. Thank you. Okay, before I say goodnight to the moon over the Parthenon one last time, I'll be right back to tell you a little bit about an upcoming episode of Conspiracy Unlimited. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the whistleblower tier. And a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me. And all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet coming up next on conspiracy unlimited decoding the antichrist you know uh, we need to profile the modus operandi of the antichrist and i think the new testament uh, as well as the old testament gives us a good profile Uh, Instead of trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, we need to profile his activity, and that'll help us identify him. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. Kalinichta. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>